This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Territory Story Podcast. Leon Logan-Nathan here, and with me, my co-host, who happens to be in Darwin still, Mr. Peter Gowers. Hello there, Mr. Leon. How are you, mate? Mate, I'm glad I had that little nap. Um about an hour ago, otherwise I would be absolutely a mess. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you sent me the text message saying uh, we were recording, I uh, that was the exact thing I missed out on because I was uh, just got back from work and I was thinking exactly the same thing. But then I got a second wind, had a good pasta meal, and I'm back ready to go. Pasta? So you'll be asleep before the end of this podcast then? <laughs> no, it's, it's giving me, as Cliff Young used to call them, my carbon hydrates. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, we seem to be flying by the seat of our pants on this podcast uh, at the moment. Um, and I don't know why, because, you know, a few months ago, or, you know, certainly well, when we were well and truly in the sort of pandemic period, you know, we had guests lined up for weeks on end, you know. Do you remember that? I do. Um, my first thoughts um, go to the condolences to their families if the pandemics <laughs> cause the issues. Yeah. So um, lately I've just been sort of feel like I'm thinking on the weekend, oh, I need to find someone for the podcast this week. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's always, um, you know, LinkedIn and uh, and certainly past listeners are a treasure trove of opportunities and options for us. And I have to tell you, I was in the tea room the other day at work and our new IT guy um, was there making a cup of tea and, he said, oh, Leon, I, I really enjoy listening to your podcast. And I nearly fell off my chair because I thought oh, I, yeah, I yeah. spoken about it that I could remember at least. And I said, oh, yeah, what, what, what do you listen to? And he says, oh, I love weekends with Walshie. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, that's where I get my news from. Wow. <laughs> that's a bit of a scary thought, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is popular the uh, weekends with Walshy episode each week. Um, you know, it's it's it is getting a real cult following with the legal sector. So maybe uh, <laughs> maybe he fits into that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But uh, no, he says he listens to the the, the, uh, the stories. And then uh, I met a random guy today who uh, was in one of the meetings I was in, and he said, "Oh yeah, I follow your LinkedIn." And um, you know, I, I listen to your podcasts. I said, oh, okay, um, which ones? And he said, oh, I like the ones with the overseas students. So I said, oh, yeah. Yep, you've got a few of those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we may very well be talking to one of those today, Pete. I, I don't really know this guy, but somehow we managed to uh, connect on LinkedIn and he might be able to remind me as to how that's happened. Um, he's also the first uh, male that we've had on the podcast for a few weeks <laughs> <laughs> as we tried to, uh, a diversification to digest. policy went a bit, uh, went a bit over the top. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like to welcome you um, to the podcast and introduce to our listeners and to you, Pete, um, Superintendent, or should I say Acting Commander, uh, Sachin Sharma. Sachin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Leon. Um, it's nice to be here. So did I get your title right? Is it Acting Commander? Or? That's right, yeah, Acting Commander. I'm currently the Incident Controller at the 
emergency operation centres for COVID pandemic. So, yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And this is for the police, of course. Yeah. Right, the Northern Territory Police. Well, um, <clears throat> Sachin, I've had a little bit of time to, to look at your uh, your CV. Pete always flies blind, so, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll balance each other out here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from your accent and from your name, uh, I mean, Sachin Sharma, that, that to me is a, is a, a collision of two oh, uh, cricketers in my head. <laughs> I've got so many questions just based on the name alone. <laughs> so maybe we should start with, uh, you know, where you were born and where you're from. Yeah, no, nah, sure. Um, I think uh, you you sort of started with the right track being an international student, but I'll go back a little bit further than that. Um, I was born in um, Himachal Pradesh in the state in India, northern India, um, a place called Dharamshala. Um, that's where Dalai Lama, uh, the Tibetan monk and the ministry on exile, mm. uh, is at right currently, uh, or has been since 1949, I believe. So I grew up in India. Um, I did my Bachelor of Commerce there, played sports like normal growing up, I guess. Um, then in 1999, uh, I arrived in uh, Brisbane uh, as an overseas student to do advanced accounting at that time. Um, then <laughs> it's a funny story. Like uh, those days, every parent wanted their kids to be in India um, to be doctors, engineers accountant, chartered accountant, that sort of stuff. I actually never had interest in accountancy. Um, I wanted to join the army or police. Um, anyway, <laughs> cut long story short, I arrived in Australia, uh, finished my advanced accounting, and um, then I thought, I want to do law. So I enrolled myself in a diploma of justice first because it was a cheaper way to do that and then go to, to the uni to do LLB afterwards. And a couple of my teachers were from Queensland Police doing, you know, night um, school. And they said, um, why don't you join the police and do law then and, you know, then summary prosecutions and all that. And after that, four years, you will have hundreds of course uh, cases under your belt. Well, that's a great idea. So um, I applied for Queensland Police that time. Um, but they took a long time to process applications and all that because they were under a big recruitment drive that time. Then I remember very vividly that uh, I saw an ad in Courier Mail, um, and it's a big bush khaki hat. Uh, you know, we had a khaki mm. uniform here. Mm. And said, um, you know, great opportunity, explore the territory. Um, would this hat fit your head? I thought, uh-huh. I will make sure it does. <laughs> um, and then, obviously, I applied here as well. Um, as the fight will have it, um, I got in in Queensland Police. Three days later, I got called from police recruitment in Northern Territory Police. I accepted NT Police. Um, and then 2004, I arrived here. And since then, I'm working in NT Police. And, and when did you get your permanent residency? In 2000 and. One, I think, one or two. So was that after you finished yeah. your, your yeah. justice? Is right. No, before no, before I finished, uh, um, ju- sorry, bef- before the justice studies, right. after I finished accountancy, yeah. Okay. And was it hard to get permanent residency at that time? Well, what I hear these days, uh, how it goes now, no, it wasn't. It wasn't that mm, hard right. compared to what 
how hard it is now. Yeah. Okay, so I want to I want to um, go right back to the start because, um, as Pete knows, I love geography and uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I've looked up uh, Dharmasala. Hey, Sachin knows where it is, mate. He doesn't know. Uh, I know, but gosh, Pete, it's so interesting. It's yeah. I, I have never heard of this place before, uh, Sachin. Maybe I have, but I don't recall it, at least in context. It is very close to Pakistan and to that disputed area of, of Kashmir. Yeah, Um when you look at the Google Maps, it appears that way. And it is. Um, but from infrastructure point of view, because we're talking about Himalayas, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, the access, if you, say, need to go from Dharamsala uh, to Kashmir, um, it'll take you days. Right. Um, uh, through Himachal and then Kashmir, uh, to uh, Jammu Kashmir, which is the state. Uh, it, put it this way, um, when there was the last war, uh, Dharamsala was bombed as well. So, yes, it is. That uh, whole region, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's right on flying is easy. Yeah. Yes. As, as the crow flies, it's close, but yeah. it's not that accessible from the roads. No, no. Okay. And it's heavily militarized when you go at a higher altitude. Um, uh, it is, as you, you probably will understand, the, the, the dispute between India-Pakistan and now India-China as well. Uh, mm. That region is very militarized. Yeah, yeah. It's just amazing. It's, uh, I mean, and looking at it, it's so close to Lahore, to yep. Islamabad, yep, to uh, Abbottabad, <laughs> which is where they What was it like growing up there? I mean, you were there. Obviously, you finished your degree and everything there. What was it like? Um, you feel normal quite, you know, you get used to it, all these things. As I said, uh, I grew up in Punjab, uh, which is what the region and the plains, right? So when you say Lahore, Lahore is a Punjab, Pakistani Punjab capital, and I grew up in Punjab in India side. Um, right. My um, relative throughout Punjab, Himachal, New Delhi, all that northern India. Um, so for us, it wasn't... Um, I mean, I also grew up in when there was a terrorism uh, on its peak in Punjab uh, mm. after Indira Gandhi, who was the Prime Minister of India at that time, her assassination and then attack on Golden Temple and, and whatnot. So um, it, it was hard times uh, at that time um, because uh, then, you know, that uh, communal aspect comes in as well, religious uh, aspects come in as well. I remember my, my dad was the entomologist uh, at the Punjab Agricultural University. So they used to go to um, uh, farmers' fairs, you know, like um, to take hybrid seeds to remote areas so farmers can have uh, better seeds for their crops and all that. And I remember um, reading, in those days, no telep mobile telephones and stuff. So I remember dad would go for three, four days, and you hear on five o'clock news that the terrorists stopped the bus, took all the Hindus out, and shoot them. And, and when, when, when you hear this and you know it's sort of that part of the world where my dad is, for days you don't know if you're going to come back home or not. Yeah. You know? uh, so you sort of grew up with, with that. Uh, I remember used to sleep on the terrace of a house uh, in, in um, summer. And you hear AK-47 um, going off, not far in the, in, in, <laughs> in the field. Um, 
bomb blast, all that sort of stuff. It just, I think humans are very resilient. I, I, I put it this way, and and you get to you normalize everything. Like when you're growing up, you see good things, you see bad things, mm. you become bad. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been interesting growing up. Yes, for sure. So you're a no vote for Cracker Day then. <laughs> I, I, I like correct that. Personally, I do. I personally, I do. Yes, okay. It's a very big deal for, for us growing up in India. You know, uh, okay. Diwali festival and all that. Yes. That's cracker, cracker night for us. Yeah, okay. So I sort of associate that with that. Yeah. Not with not with what, what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so even though you lived in Punjab, I mean, I mean, yeah, Punjab in that area, you're not a Sikh, though. You you don't you're, no. you're Right, no. interesting. So not, not, yeah, not all Punjabis are Sikh, no. Uh, right. Punjabi is not a religion. Punjabi is a state. So yes. anyone, Punjabi is a state. So anyone from Punjab or grew up, so for example, uh, Pakistani Punjab, uh, most majority Muslim population yeah. there, and they're all Punjabis yeah. as well. Um, you, so much so that you'll find their surnames are the same surnames of Sikh people. Is that right? Um, yeah, for example, um, their um, head of army staff, uh, um, General Baj, Bajwa, I think his name is, Pakistani general. Um, Bajwa is also a Sikh caste or a surname. Oh, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's thousands of years of yeah. history behind it, yeah. And uh, do you have, did you, or do you have any brothers and sisters there? I have one sister. Right. Um, they live in Canada, uh, in Toronto. Right. Um, and mum and dad, now, at, right now, they're in Dharamsala, um, but they sort of... Go to Canada, to. come here, go to India. Really, <laughs> yeah. the best life. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> right, and and you can see the Himalayas from uh, Dharamsala. Is oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing, yeah. isn't it? It's a Dholadhar. They call it. There's different ranges of um, Himalayas. That's right. a Dholadhar range of Himalayas in Dharamsala. Yeah. Mm. Right, and so did you do any mountain climbing when you were a kid? Or yeah, yeah. I mean, don't, I mean, be honest with you, we. We were quite humble beginnings and all that. We weren't very rich or anything, uh, but we're not poor either. Um, so walking is part of it, going one place to another, especially in Himachal. Um, we didn't have taxis and stuff that time when I was going there. Um, so, yeah, no, yeah, everything was it's beautiful. We love it. Yeah. And climate-wise, uh, obviously, you had some very, you know, you would have had snow and things like that up there, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not. Dharamsala is, it does have um, snowfall um, upper, upper higher ranges, um, but the village uh, I my my parents are from that doesn't get snow now. Um, but it, it's around the corner, put it that way. It just sort of stops just yeah. before it's the village. <laughs> <laughs> and then in summer, stinking hot. No, no, uh, no? summers are beautiful there because. Um, yeah, say for example, temperature goes. This is summer now, or, or actually monsoon just arrived. Uh, in in that part of the world, um, goes to thirty degrees and it's a bit of heat. Boom, rain coming, uh, uh, just rains uh, all the way. So it's it's probably the best part of the world uh, at that time. Yeah. yeah. How many meters above sea level is it? Such well, from memory, so I think. Uh, I'd actually, to be honest with you, I don't know, but I think it's above thousand at least. Um, it could be even yeah, more. Okay. Um, um, when you yep. start talking about steep hills, they're like from here. So, so the village is, um, from memories, I think it's 800 meters or 900 meters. But then you go to Haramshala proper, it's like 1500, mm. something like that. So it's a steep climb. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. 
sheer mountains. Yeah, for riding your bike wouldn't have been fun, Pete. Yeah, going to <laughs> home, home it would be. <laughs> Push it up, ride it home. Yeah, yeah. and um, and what about? Okay, I mean, uh, Sachin, you know, like you know, when you move to a, a Western country, and people say, "Let's go to an Indian restaurant," you know, you always think, "Okay, well." You know, okay, well, <laughs> what food are we going to have here? Is it really Indian food? What is the typical food in Dharamsala? And is it consistent with Indian restaurants here in any way? Um, that's a good question. And I can sort of say it with that with authority because I worked in Indian restaurants here in Britain for four or five years when I was a student. Um, no, it's not. It's not consistent. Food <laughs> uh, you get here in Indian restaurants is, I mean, things are changing a little bit because people from India are now coming and opening up restaurants here as well, right? Mm. Uh, b- before that, it was UK-based Indian food. Right. The, the recipes and all that come from Glasgow, London, all those sort of places. Tikka masala. You, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's no such thing in India, chicken tikka masala, right? Oh, uh, and oh, what about butter chicken? chicken? Is butter chicken yeah. Indian? Yes, butter chicken is Indian. Yeah, um, right. Okay. Yeah, but but the way it's cooked here is very different yeah, from yeah. how they cooked. So it's a bit of story behind butter chicken. After partition, you know, 1947, when refugees or Indian wanted to come, sorry, yeah, Indian wanted to come to India from then Pakistan, they arrived in um, refugees camp in New Delhi, right? And one person uh, come up with this recipe called butter chicken which then gone everywhere. Um, it, so that's how, so butter chicken itself is not that old. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> but now it's sort of, yeah. um, uh, you know, any, anything Indian, everyone just talk about butter chicken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So t- tell me something else. And I mean, in Darwin, I've noticed over the last, you know, maybe five to 10 years, probably yeah. more closer to five years, we've seen uh, like a huge growth in the ne- Nepalese population here. I, I don't yeah. think I ever met a Nepalese person five years ago. Yeah. Now, um, we now have, I think, at least two, if not three Nepalese restaurants, maybe more. Yeah. About 3,000 families here now. Yeah. Sorry, 3,000 people. Yeah, 3,000 people, families. right. So yeah. how, uh, have you tasted the Nepalese food and does that remind yeah. you of the food yeah. back home? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Nepalese... So again, um, in Dharamsala, um, Nepalese people been there for a very long time, and and interaction between India and Indian people and Nepalese people. Well, I mean, before it was just one big land, right? So mm-hmm. Nepalese people and Indian people are very similar. Uh, the religion is same. Uh, we have our um, big temples where we must visit part of Hindu religion. Uh, which is in Pashupatinath in, in Kathmandu. Um, so their food, yes, a little bit, you know, nuances are different, like different spices sometimes and all that, but it's the same food. Um, to mm. me, it's the same food, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Hey, do you remember we used to have the restaurant here, Garam Masala? Garam Masala. Yes, under Mitchell Centre, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. What, what does that mean versus Garam Masala? <laughs> 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 well, Garam Masala is, a spice, um, okay. a combination of seven or eight different spices mixed together <laughs> for garam masala. Garam okay. is hot, <laughs> yeah. hot spice. 
Um, okay, so uh, you've been here now for how many years? Uh, I think you said 99 you, you arrived in Brisbane. Oh, in, in, yeah, uh, 21, 22 years, yeah. 22 years, right. You did your bachelor's degree in, in India. You came here to do, what, a master's or a yeah, to do, yep. yeah, master's? Yeah. So you did that? Did you finish that? No, 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 no. I, I come here to do the advanced diploma. Um, advanced diploma, so, right. So that time, um, you know, like taxation law and all that yes, um, yes. are different in this country, but contract law and all that stuff and say because it's based yes. on I remember okay. the same case law I studied in India, oh, a carbolic right. small ball company, oh, yeah. I think a tobacco <laughs> law, I think. Um, it was the same law here. And I thought, hmm. but obviously taxation law or, or accounting even a little bit different because we were doing voyages and all that sort of based accounting. For for them to recognize my degree here, I needed mm-hmm. the bridging advanced diploma. And right. that's what I did, yes. Uh, and then did justice, but then I never pursued accounting ever again. <laughs> right, right, right. And and how did you? So why did you choose Brisbane over any other city in Australia? I knew a couple of people, um, of course, connection from from India. Um, yeah. So they came and you know received me at the airport and all that because otherwise yes. I didn't know anyone and my English wasn't very good either so it was sort of uh, let's go see how we go <laughs> right and, and how did you find Brisbane because you would have been you were there when I was there actually in 99 yeah. so uh, I remember I, I, I still feel um, Brisbane's like um, like a home for some reason yeah. not home but uh, like, like a special affinity with that yes. place yeah. uh, I feel Darwin is a home or Northern Territory is my home but um you know when you first arrive and that, like your eyes just wide open, <laughs> like, uh-huh. <laughs> wow, because <laughs> um, it's such a different. You 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 can see in movies, you can see in um, videos and stuff, but coming in and seeing it and experiencing it, smelling it, all that. Um, that's one of those things I will never forget in my life. Mm. Uh, I and, like and this one. Yeah, right. And so, where did you do your advanced diploma? Yeah, that was TAFE, Queensland TAFE. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, yes. it was All a right. kangaroo point at that time, at the campus, which yeah. is just a beautiful campus, but it's gone now. Mm. Um, um, that's where I did that, yeah. And, and where did you live? Oh, I, I was an international student, trust me. I like, <laughs> lived everywhere. <laughs> Wherever it was cheap. <laughs> right, right. So I lived in uh, uh, Jibang, uh, which is northern um, uh, uh, Brisbane, Chermside, I lived in Sunnybank. I lived in. Gosh, you went north and south. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, to Sunnybank. Yeah, yeah. I, um, no you restrictions. Know, when you have no money, <laughs> you find the cheapest place and bunk with other, other school uh, classmates. And yeah, that's how it was. So, so let, let, me, let me ask about Sunnybank. So uh, I, mean, I, I lived in Carindale for a year. So yeah. I, I kind of know Brisbane reasonably well. Um, yeah. Sunnybank is where we used to go for yamcha. You yep. may never have had yamcha until you came to Australia, right? That's right. Yeah, no. I never <laughs> had Chinese food. I never had any other food apart from Indian food, to be honest. <laughs> never had wheat picks? No. How did your gut cope with all these new different foods? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love food. Um, um, one thing for me, is, it's, and it's not just about food, it's about having that adventurous personality perhaps. Um, give it a go. If then you don't like like eating little octopus, remember? And and, and uh, Sunnybank. Um, I think you because coming from northern India, it's a landlock. It's there's no seafood is not a normal everyday food. Yes. Uh, so all those things um, I never ate. Um, piece of 
fish, yeah. Oh, I had fish, but not the way it's cooked here as well. Um, so just going with that experience and, and um, feeling that um, what – so like you talk about Indian food. We, in India, we also have chow mein, for example, right? Chinese um, yes. chow mein noodles. Mm. But the way they cook <laughs> with it's Indian hot. spices in it. <laughs> 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 you've never, you've never had them playing with no flavour. <laughs> Steamed rice, for example, or the Chinese chicken rice. I never had that before. Yeah. But for me, I, I enjoy all this. I love it, um, and it's it's part of growing as well. I thought um, when you lock in, it, it, it's not just the freedom in in sense of. Um, that you alone and you do whatever you want to do. It's also choices in regards to what you want to do, eat, and all that sort of stuff. So mm. for me, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy that. Still do. So you embraced Australian culture, Australian lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's easy to do. <laughs> you live right. here. Um, I have no um, like. It's it's just become that part where um, I mean. Sometimes it's a necessity as well, um, where you live here, you need to communicate with people, you need to understand the system, you know, and and I thought, not, now I'm reflecting on it, at that time I didn't think that way, it was um, when I started driving taxis, so mm. I'm going to give you some stereotype types now, right, yeah. so I did taxis, I worked in 7-Eleven, <laughs> I did cleaning, <laughs> I worked in Indian restaurants, right, <laughs> um, but um, that time I didn't think that way. That time it was just a necessity. I need to do this. But now I'm looking back. That's the best way to get to know the yes. system. When you yes. start talking to people, the slang, the, yeah. the, the behavior, like, for example, the twisted sense of humor Australia, Australia has, which I love now, right? So you're looking at someone with the ginger hair, call him, call him Bluey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't make any sense, but that's how it is. Um, Sporting mm. culture, which I really enjoy as well. Um, um, the 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 it's that it's it's sort of in the fabric of Australians. It's, it's always backing the underdog, which I really like myself. Yep. So so these are the alignments, you know. When I'm looking in, and I had a um, I had a um, chance, or or I, my parents were in Canada at that time, and with my sister, so they wanted me to go there and 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 live there. Um, so I, I was very close doing that, but then I thought, <laughs> I love Australia, I, I really do, and uh, yeah. I'm not gonna. And and it's this investment as well. You 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 know get to know people and and becoming Australian, uh, not just by citizenship and all that, by by who you are. Um, mm. So yeah, so that's what I like. Plus, you would have been really really cold if you went to Canada. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Where, where, where does she live in Canada? Toronto. Oh, she's in Toronto, right? Yeah, <laughs> that is freezing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and so um, she's uh, your your sister. She's married and she's got children and things. Yeah. Yep. Yep. My sister's right. married. She's got three kids. Um, they again. They have Indian restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and then the kids all play uh, ice hockey. I guess, eh? Yeah. Oh, no, they don't play. Yeah, but ice hockey, you know, that's their, uh, I guess, sport. And, like, another thing I, I like about um, Canadian kids, I guess, um, that they learn French as well. So so they're mm. multilingual just 
because the nature of the country as well. Um, so they speak English or they learn English, they learn French, and then their native tongue. So mom and dad, or my sister and her mm. husband also teach them um, Punjabi and Hindi. So so now you're talking to these kids, that they just amazing, like because they can do all these things just without even thinking. Yeah. Mm. Um, where my kids, they don't speak any other language than English. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. So, uh, where did you meet your wife? Um, yeah, I, my wife is also a police officer, so yeah, in, right. in the police, yeah. In, in Darwin? Uh, no, we were in Bush that time. So, I was um, in Catherine and, and she was working um, in Catherine. I was in Catherine and uh, my wife was working in Pe- Pebble Minardi. Oh, okay. Mm. Right, right. And, and is she from Darwin or from uh, the Now, Albury. Albury in um, New South Wales. Albury, Madonga. Yeah, oh, that wow. region. Yeah. We had someone from uh, Albury on we did. last week. Yeah, we like did. It was last week. Yeah, yes. it was. Yeah. Yeah, right. And, uh, and so uh, you both feel very at home in the territory, clearly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is home. <laughs> I mean, not just... Uh, as, as you probably uh, will know, most of the police officers, not just in Darwin, but it's, it's a profession where we go everywhere in territory. We signed uh, to be a Northern Territory police officer. So uh, we worked in Catherine, Alice Springs, Bush, you know, a few times in Catherine, a couple of times in Catherine, back in Darwin. So for us, it's, it's not just Darwin, it's the whole territory, yeah. you know, um, our, our workplace. And uh, so uh, you spent a lot of time in the police force and clearly uh, climbed the ladder. I, I feel like just looking at your uh, your profile here, Sachin, that the Territory has given you a lot of opportunities that you may not have got if you stayed in Queensland. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's exposure as well. Mm. And so to give you the example, I had a friend at that time who I studied justice diploma together. Uh, he stayed in Queensland Police. So now I can say that time I didn't know, uh, but now I can say Northern Territory Police officers have a reputation that we're multidimensional, right? Um, it's by nature of big, vast land we, we police. Um, things like when you're in Bush, for example, or in a regional area, when you're on duty, you are everything. You are the detective. You are the crime scene examiner. You are the crime scene guard. You're also consoling the victim. You know, mm. So that is not common for other parts uh, of, of Australia. So when you go to it's hard. so you're also doing watch housekeeping. You know, when you have people in your cells, you also attend the front counter. You also do uh, motor vehicle registry. For example, yeah, right? Right. work you also become a fine recovery officer because people come and pay their fine at police station in bush stations. So it becomes just one stop shop for all things uh, in many in many cases. So when you have that exposure, you grow very quickly, right? Yeah. Uh, where my friend, so I'm talking about my first my first ever uh, job uh, allocated to me on on road was a coronial investigation of someone's uh, car accident. Coronial investigation is very, it's privileged investigation for us to find out what happened to this person and that why this person passed away. That's how I, we, we see it, right? Or how I see it, at least. When I compare that with my mate who stayed in Queensland, his first job was graffiti. 
<laughs> investigation. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a coronial inquiry. <laughs> He's looking for 12-year-olds while Satcher was out. Gosh. So, so that's the sort of a comparison if, if, in, in that context. So when you have that exposure, and, and to me, it's, it's still the case that we, we don't, I didn't choose this job. It's like this job chose me mm-hmm. because you feel like eh, it's, it's just who I ever and always um, mm-hmm. I was born to do this. So when you have that, you have exposure, you, you're doing the things, um, that's where the opportunity comes into a Leon. Mm. Such and when you had your sliding doors moment, when you were accepted by the Northern Territory Police as well as the Queensland Police, was it the Rangers outfits that pushed you over the line to move to the Territory? <laughs> uh, no, no. I think it's, again, that adventurous, I guess, uh, nature I had. Um, where mm. why, at that time, I, was, I actually consulted this with someone. At that time, I was driving buses for Brisbane City Council, right? Uh, and I, <laughs> I had this uh, supervisor at that time. When I received the call, I remember I was in Karina Depot. Uh, Leon will probably know where Karina is, near Carindale. Mm-hmm. And um, I, so I went to him and I said, oh, well, look, I'm sort of in a very privileged position. Like I got offered from two, two jurisdictions. He said, what in a very typical Queensland accent uh, <laughs> way uh, with, with his shorts and with long socks, you know, and, and, and China. That was a swear words. <laughs> um, he said, what? They have crocodiles everywhere. Don't go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that had an opposite effect on me. And I thought, well, yeah. I must go. Uh, and that's how I ended up here. And I thought, I still think it's the best decision of my life. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you gotta love that Queensland accent. I, I, I had I had a friend um, come to Darwin recently with his family, and I had hadn't seen him in a number of years. And they, he lives in Brisbane, and he's from Malaysia uh, originally. And he married a girl whose parents migrated from India, but she was born in Australia in Queensland in Brisbane. Oh, yeah. I just, I had to do a double take when I was listening to her. <laughs> she just sounded so Queenslandish. I mean, she doesn't even say school. You know, in Queensland, they don't say school, they say school. Yeah. It's just like, what the heck? You know? <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's just borders it, and it just aligns on the map how then they become. Uh, these distinct accents. I mean, for me, I didn't know. Um, I, I couldn't recognize all these accents when I first came here. No. Um, and now, yeah, I can. Um, you know, uh, when you especially say uh, talking to someone from New Zealand, yeah, it's so distinct. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so distinct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I want to ask you a, a question. Um, I mean, given that you are a police officer, it's, it's going to be really interesting to hear your response. But, you know, coming from Asian countries, like, you know, I, growing up in Malaysia, we were taught to fear police, like really fear police. Like if, if you had an encounter with a policeman, you know, you would have palpitations from, yeah. you know, from being conditioned to fear police. And then, you know, you come to Australia and it's, it's the opposite. It's mm. like you give police lip, you know, uh, you don't take it. <laughs> 
as well, someone who came out with everything. Hey, as, as someone who's come from an Asian country to Australia and, and become a policeman, how do you see that? Um, I, also, I like it the way it is here. Um, I'll tell you, tell you the, not because people say some, some people disrespectful, uh, so I'm not talking about that, but most of the people are respectful. Most of the people, I would say, um, maybe have a bit of anxiety when dealing with police, like, for example, driving and you see the red and blue light comes, so they feel, oh, you can see that. Even if I'm just, you know, doing an urgent duty driving, I'm not trying to stop them. I just want to buy my pass. They all do start, some people start doing silly things. <laughs> and that comes with the, in that anxiety, right? Um, why I say that, I like it here and not what you just referred to. It is sim- very similar in India as well. Mm. Um, is that when it's okay if you are related to the family of police or you're part of police family and all that, because then comes heaps of privileges, I guess, mm. uh, of, of those old colonial bureaucracy <laughs> we, we you know, redefined in India. But, but if you're on the other side, if you're on the receiving end of that, um, that is damaging. That can be, you know, there's, you don't even feel safe from police itself because they can knock on your door and demand things and all that mm. stuff. Mm. So, so coming from that aspect, um, I feel it's, it's more democratic here. Um, yes, people do uh, give us a lip uh, or even assaulting police, um, but on the same token, um, it is known risk. It's a known hazard. Uh, of our profession, uh, so we are we are trained to deal with that. Uh, I don't expect anyone to get assaulted uh, when they go to to the, uh, do their job, but we are trained to do that. Um, so it is different, um, but being in that system for this long, uh, I would say a vast majority of people actually are very respectful. Um, uh, my first insight was. I was in Catherine, junior constable, and and, uh, we had a crime in that area. So I'm doing a door knock um, in the morning. And um, so we're dealing with this lady, we do the door knock, um, and she's talking to us, and she's had a little toddler with her as well. While she's talking to us, she received a phone call that uh, her husband, who's a roofie, um, fell off the roof and gone to the hospital. And she said to us, I rang my mom, She's on her way. Can you please look after my toddler? I need to go. <laughs> and wow. I said, of course we will. Um, and, and, but the, the, the aspect of that was in what I really uh, embraced that she didn't know us. We were strangers, two, two male police officers, strangers. Trust. But the only reason because we were in uniform. Yeah. Trusted yes. us yes. with her toddler. And, yeah. and that level of trust people have especially in Northern Territory Police Offices. You see all this uh, other stuff happening. In, uh, and, but we know from experience, we cannot, I mean, we can have police powers. Anybody can have powers. Mm. But the legitimacy comes from, from that trust, mm. right? If the public doesn't want a particular power, I can tell you, it doesn't matter how many powers you have, you won't be able to enforce it. Mm. It's the legitimacy by the police, um, a public, and having that trust in us um, makes us very privileged because it's 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 not the same what you just said, Leon. Um, in other places, definitely not in India. Um, mm-hmm. You fear police for that reason. 
and, and possibly um, even in parts of the US by the sounds of what oh, we're reading yeah, over there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and I mean, I'm no no political com- commenter, <laughs> commentator, sorry. Yeah, um, but it's just the election results will tell you uh, how divisive, mm-hmm. right in the middle, sort of divisive that country is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, don't see that here. Uh, we are very fortunate. Uh, even other jurisdictions in Australia, we don't see that. It makes us, us um, quite envy of other places as well because people just think, you know, we've always been seen as, oh, the last frontier, you know, laid back, you know, beers, thongs, and all that sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but comes with that uh, being part of the community. Um, and because of that trust, we get legitimacy uh, as a police officer. Mm-hmm. I look. I completely agree with you. And look, you know, without you know, absolutely no no um, intention of being political, but just for, as an observational issue, you know, from we're obviously on the outside here looking in, and we get guys like Chris Walsh that come in and tell us all these stories, and we, you know, we, we banter with him, but. Clearly, they're, they're one of the main issues for the Territory at the moment, particularly Darwin and Alice Springs, but also some of the other, other centres like Tennant Creek and, and possibly Catherine even, is, is crime. You know, there's, there's, a, there's at least a perception that we have a crime problem. How, how as a policeman, do you, you know, and a fairly senior officer for that matter, how do you deal with that? And, and what, 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 what's your view and what's, what, what do you see? Oh, look... Um as I said, um, you know, um, Mr. Peel, uh, when he defined the police role a very long time ago, and, and he mentioned um, we are we are the public and public is us, right? So, so it, for me, if and perception, quite, quite frankly, is more important sometimes than the reality itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got to understand the 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 fabric, the the cultural. Uh, aspects of of um, and the societal change is happening, um, social media, you know, all that sort of stuff, and that includes uh, other parts of the um, of Australian jurisdiction. So, I'd, what we see, the perception, and all that, is it uh, is it real? Uh, is it fueled by social media? Is it fueled by other people? I'm not sure how it happened. It does affect us as well. Uh, uh, it does affect that. Um, <laughs> Sometimes it's very hard to deal with, put it that way, right? That when it's the perceptions that's wrong or people think that way. But is it the majority? Uh, has it? I'm not going to say that it's not happening and all that. We all live here. But is it only the police or is it also the, the, the community itself uh, going, uh, developing or evolving that way? I mean, for example, if the kids are running 2 a.m., 3 a.m. on the street, underage, where's the family? With the parents, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, so what I'm saying is, it's not a very easy answer. It's not very easy. It's a very, it's called wicked problem, right? Uh, how things sort of developing. Um, police is equipped. We are dealing with it. We are um, enforcing legislation within the bound of the legislation, dealing with that aspect. Um, but is it not? It, sorry, it's not um, unique to Northern Territory either. You will see other parts mm-hmm. of Australia. So what is happening is is also um, family structures, you know, um, how they're operating these days. What you just mentioned before, Leon, um, police was a central sort of um, figure, authority figure in a small town, for example, right? Mm. Um, that might not be the case now. 
right? We we are connected. We're still doing the role, but so to me, it's a multivariant sort of problem. Um, but we see the end result of it. I mean, as I said, why are the kids of that tender age are on street? Well, Pete might have something to say about that. We spoke to the mayor of Palmerston many moons ago on this podcast, and he he often brings this up as an issue or an example of, of this situation. Yeah, so it was funny listening to you talk just then, Sachin, because, um, you know, one of the things that came to mind as you were speaking was the fact that you, you can only um, police uh, within the boundaries of the legislation. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm mindful of that fact because we do hear crime talked about a lot, but then there's only so much you can do based on what powers you have. But it was pretty clearly told to us that uh, these kids are wandering the streets um, I won't call it a policy, but let's call it, uh, uh, you know, an, an accepted um, way of doing things, if you like, because it's safer for them to be on the streets than it is to be in their own homes. And and I have heard that as well. Um, uh, and again, that comes to um, that's that comes down to where as a society, where as a community, you know, they used to say it's not the family who raise the kid is the whole village mm. right so as a society as a community where have we come to what happened what what is that one aspect it's not a i mean that's the last thing police officers want to do to arrest or criminalize the behavior of a 12 year old little kid mm. who for a variety of reasons on the street right but it becomes that anti-police officer end up doing that because that's the only thing left yeah. in front of us. If we have kids. We know kids um, because they're growing up together. They go to the same school. Mm-hmm. Um, it is sad sometimes to, to, to come down to that. But, but on the same token, it's, 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 that, it's the wicked problem. It's, it's such a complex issue we're talking about here. Yeah. Where um, as a police officer, I can only give you probably 5%, 2% of, of um, some input in that because I'm sitting at the right end of it, right? Um, but the problem starts right here. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that's what um, no one, as I said, no police officer wants to do that um, unless we have to do it and we will do it. Because mm. we, that's our, our, our role as well. Uh, because um, Victims are very important to us as well, you know. Um, so we need to protect our victims as well. We speak for victims. We come in between when that sort of stuff happening to stop that. Uh, but if you just talk about the problem in isolation, it's not entirely just police or law and order um, uh, problem. It is entirety lies within the social fabric, the community development. What's happening outside of policing domain? Mm. which then feeds into the problem. That, that's, that's what I would say. Um, it's not even a right or wrong answer, right? It, it, it's one of those things where you do this, it's right, or you do this, it's wrong. Sometimes this is right, right? Sometimes this is right. Yeah. Sometimes this is wrong. You know, it's, um, it's case by case, it's family by family, it's then collective community. Uh, where are we going with it? That's it. That's the sort of a question we all face. And I think if I can read into what you're saying, and I know you obviously can't say it, but if you look at the uh, 
the anti-government policies over 10, 15, 20 years. I'm sure it you know, dates well back before then. We, we seem to have two very extreme sets of policies. And by general consensus, one size says our policies are the best and the other side says their policies are the best. But the end result is we're not really getting any improvement. So it, it, it's got to be something else or something in between. Hmm. <laughs> I think you just mentioned that. I, I, I'll, I'll leave it there because uh, for me, I'm apolitical. I, I understand. You know, I, I, I deal with uh, the legislation. I deal with both the law uh, it's given to me. And that's also very important to be democratic. Right? Correct. Uh, yeah. And, and so what government does, government of the day, is entirely uh, up to the government. I just mm-hmm. to then uh, enforce those legislation. Yeah. That's the thing that I've really appreciated in recent years is that you can only enforce what's in front of you. You can't enforce laws that people wish you had. You can only enforce the laws that are actually there at the time. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So talking about enforcing laws, I see that you at one stage you were the acting commander of Darwin and Road Policing Command. Road policing was one of Pete's favourite topics. Oh, Sachin, <laughs> let's park the rest of the conversation there and I'm going to give you some tips on how we can fix things on the road. I'm listening. In, in Darwin, I could pretty much A, get the government out of debt by the end of the month and, <laughs> and B, fix many problems on the roads if there were just police on Tiger Brennan Drive policing two things. One, speed, and two, keep left unless overtaking. If they just police those two things every day, the, the $8.7 billion would be wiped out by the end of the month. Is that, is that a rule, Pete, that keep left unless yeah. overtaking? Oh, my God, you are kidding me, right? No, no, I, I know it's a rule, but I didn't know that it was enforced. Like, it's absolutely know. a rule. You cannot travel in the right-hand lane at 80 kilometres or above. Yeah, that's right and not be overtaking. When you've overtaken, get back on the left. Yes, right, right. It's a straight in the road rule, yeah. It's not okay. just for tariffs everywhere. Correct. Let me ask you this one too, merging, right? Now, to me, merging is common sense, like, you know, <laughs> one for the left, one <laughs> for the right. One. Well, actually, to me it is, but it yeah. seems not. Uh, sometimes people that are in the left lane that, uh, you know, are trying to merge right or merge at the end of it, the guys on the right don't want to give way. Like, what's yeah. the rule there? It depends. Um, if it is open merged, so mm. for example, um, you know how sometimes you see there's a dotted line, but it's all the way. Yes. That means the person who's coming in that line Correct. To, to go to the nut, you must stop yeah, and let them go in. Understood. But if it is free for all sort of merge line, yes. right? <laughs> then whoever's in front merge. Yeah. Goes in. Oh, and then right. whoever's at the back, so when safe to do so. So if say this car here on the left, and this is now be- going to become one one lane yes. in, in the front, and the other car just behind, the f- they have the right to go in, mm. and this car should stop down and have that safe distance. What if they're both side by side? <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want to scratch your car, Leon, slow down. Because <laughs> you know where it happens, I'll tell you where it happens, uh, turning from Stewart Highway onto McMillan's Road, yeah, you've got you've got the two two uh, lanes yep. turning right. It does happen there, yes. It's just sometimes <laughs> yeah. a little bit diabolical. It amazes yeah. me though that these people 
drive the same road at least five days a week mm. going from work and back home again, or sorry, to yeah. work and back home again. And yet you see the same flashpoints most days and you can pick about four spots on certain roads where there will be an accident every day because of exactly what you just described. They're doing the, they just don't either understand or they don't want to work with the merging system. And you see these three, four car pileups. One of the, the big bugbears for me is speed. They see yes. the merging lane and they either slow down or speed up. Just continue to do the speed limit. <laughs> and if a car <laughs> appears on your left, then, you know, take the precautions necessary. Yeah. Now, we, we, again, um, it comes down on community as well. Like the safety rules, they're not for any other reason, these rules. Yeah. It's to regulate the traffic prop- flow properly so people can get to from A to B. Um, I don't get it either, personally. Um, <laughs> because even if you, okay, you go through and you rush, you barge your way through it, it's still an 80 speed limit. Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and, and then most likely, most likely you're going to be joining the same person when the red light. That's red light. exactly right. So Here's another question, another question for you. You're traveling along Stewart <laughs> Highway. There's no more open speed limits, right? So it's 130 kilometers an hour. I might ask you about your view on that. Um, and you've got a road train in front of you, right? Uh, you don't want to be behind it because the thing is swaying all over the place, right? <laughs> so you speed up. Are you allowed to do more than 130 k's? No. To overtake the thing. No. Oh, my <laughs> God. So speed limit is speed limit, right? But what, what do you probably have seen? Uh, you've got to wait until um, overtaking lane. I remember this very, very um, clearly coming from Catherine in around 2006 sort of time, right? 2004 to 2006 sort of time. We used to hardly have any overtaking lane that time. I, I remember one was at the Emerald Springs, you know, like distinct places. But now the infrastructure has improved a lot. You have so many more overtaking lanes for that reason. Um, and you will probably also see um, these um, whole haulage drivers, long-distance drivers of trucks and buses, they know this. They don't want to for the traffic either. They themselves go into the left lane when it's the overtaking lane coming, mm-hmm. and then you go boom, right? Um, but no, speed is speed. Um, because <laughs> if, 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 if you say that, then... Uh, next person will say, there's a car in front of me doing under 20, but I want to do under 30. Can I go through yeah. um, you know, You know what I mean? Like you would understand this. Yeah. Number is number. You stay that number. Okay. The, the other interesting thing too, Sachin, you mentioned it before when the first driving point was brought up. And <laughs> it's something that even to this day, you'll, you'll see it on the various buy, swap and sell sites where people will have out-and-out arguments about driving. The road rules are now national. And what I find really interesting, having driven in multiple states, is, you know, a bit like we we talk about colloquialisms with language, I find that driving has that as well. And I'll give you an example. So the, the way the law stands is when you exit a roundabout, you must indicate left that you're exiting the roundabout. Yeah. But in Victoria, they don't do that. It's never been done and it's just not one of those things that they do. In New South Wales, they're very regimented about it. What what I find really interesting is you get up here 
And I see this all the time. It makes me laugh. It makes me angry. It makes me happy. It makes me sad. All the emotions come out. <laughs> I see a person get to a roundabout. Now, ultimately, they're going straight, okay? Mm-hmm. And to go straight, they indicate both left and right <laughs> go through the roundabout. And that's sheer confusion. They just don't know what the, the rule is, what the regulations are. And it, it's, as I say, it's confusion because they've come from someone else, somewhere else where they were meant to do one or do the other. And now they just do both because they don't know what they're meant to do. Mm-hmm. And I guess that was the intent, obviously, having one Australian road rule, right? Yes. So everyone does the same thing. But you're right. It, it's that common flavor attached to it. Um, mm. And you're right. Um, you can see different. I'm now sort of looking only from the number plates. You know, people have different. Yes. registered number plate, uh, the way they drive. Uh, um, and and that, that confusion is that it's like a 50-50 bet. <laughs> Let's just try this. <laughs> I indicated. <laughs> and I'm going you know, I, I, just came, I just thought of a really great idea. Like, you, you know, I mean, you and your profession, me and my profession, you know, and even Pete in, in real estate, you've got this requirement to do CPDs. Yeah. Right. If you don't do your CPDs or your CLEs or whatever you want to call them, continuous legal education or continuous professional development, uh, then you don't get your license renewed. You, you can't renew your license for the next year to, to, to practice. What if, what if we did something like this, that um, to renew your, your uh, license um, voluntarily, because obviously if you make it mandatory, then you're going to have a whole lot of other issues, Voluntarily, people can do a, a refresher road rules thing on the computer, a test on the computer, multiple choice. Uh, and if they pass, uh, then they get, you know, a discount off their renewing their licence. <laughs> or their next it, it, it might make your job easier because then people like me will not think, oh, I can actually overtake that uh, semi-trailer doing 130 kilometres, 140 yeah. kilometres an hour, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, people like Pete uh, will not indicate both ways to go straight and roundabout. <laughs> uh, you know, all those simple little things because there's so many little things. I mean, like, for example, if someone's coming to me, uh, you know, classic example would be Chung Wai where you guys really like to put your speed camera right on that 60 kilometres <laughs> there, right, <laughs> where it goes from 80 to 60. You know, have people coming the other way, flashing their lights, and I'm thinking to myself, hmm, is that legal? I don't know if that's legal. It's not. It's, it's, <laughs> it's yeah, no. Absolutely not. No, it's, um, it's not. But this is what I also wanted to mention this. Um, places where those cameras go, right, and including static cameras, mm. uh, it's where the community also um, asks us to put things. Oh, so local residents also want us to do that because they are worried the behavior or misbehavior, driving misbehavior around those areas. Mm. Um, so it's not just we randomly get up in the morning thinking, okay, <laughs> this is where you're going to go. Because, and, and this is what I'm saying, Leon and, and Pete, that people don't realize or underestimate how um, well-connected police officers are because we also part of the community. We live here. Our, right. our, our skin is in the ultimate in the game, right? Uh, so, so whatever we're doing, traffic, we're now doing COVID for, since March last year. It is that motivation, get up in the morning and go to work because I'm in fortunate position that I can contribute 
in many ways than other people not in their profession um, um, profession can do M- might like to do they have good intentions to but may not be able to do so that's how we feel privileged and having the information source information coming from community because they can they feel that they can give that information then mm-hmm. also direct our business what we're going to do um, mm. and and that's that's a, a, a sort of part of our learning when we becoming police officers that know your patch know your people in your patch mm. when you do that you become your patch right mm. and once you are in that patch then you get all the information people want police to say i want this to be done here and we go and do it hey sachin i've got a couple of other suggestions for you um <laughs> The first one is can you please publish the list of those people that ask for the speed cameras to be put in certain <laughs> positions? I'd love to have a chat to them. The suggestions are um one I've long believed that you you remember I, I don't think it exists here in the territory but you know down south uh when a P plate driver gets their license they're only licensed to drive certain vehicles. Yeah. I I think like Leon was talking about you know keeping your skills um up to standard i think that the size of the car that you can drive and the engine should you should have to qualify for it right so you see up here a myriad of people driving four wheel drives that they just simply don't have the skill to drive okay and i think everybody should start off on a little four cylinder you know 1.6 liter jobby and learn how to drive that and then if they feel they're more qualified or they'd like to drive a bigger car uh then they've got to sit a specific exam for that particular class of vehicle um because you see it all the time particularly in the supermarkets where and I'm not stereotyping but I will he's bought her a four wheel drive which she probably doesn't even want and she can't back it or drive it or maneuver around the supermarket car park and it causes utter chaos but if he or she had had an extra upgraded version of their license to learn how to drive that in smaller areas and tight spots then you wouldn't have that same issue you don't need to worry about that Pete because Why? you know we're not that far away from tesla's uh, technology being rolled out across every other car <laughs> it'll park yeah. it for you uh, it'll park yeah. itself and it'll okay okay it'll right. summon itself you know you can summon it and all that sort of stuff well there's so, still people driving around in 1970s cars so i'm tipping that the petrol engine's going to survive a bit longer than we thought the other suggestion i have for you though which i think um you might need to think about immediately do you remember i think it was richard nixon uh deputized elvis to be a honorary secret service member no, no, i have absolutely no recollection of that yeah elvis he had, he had a badge he, he he flew his private jet to i think it was richard nixon um i'd love to be deputized uh, to be able to hand out speeding fines and move over notices and stuff like that so if you can do that up <laughs> it's um that that you know um aspect is probably a 2% of policing the rest of it is the pr- prosecution files and everything uh, else yeah. going to go with it so i don't know if you want to do that i, I, only, I only want the fun bit i know uh, <laughs> i don't want Pete anywhere near a badge uh, he's incorrigible <laughs> enough as it is um one one more question on this i'm just uh, look i didn't plan to ask you this question sachin but now that you're sitting here it's all coming to me flooding into my head 
Um, speed camera detectors in cars, are they legal? Uh, actually, Tom, I'll be honest. Um, um, <laughs> yes. You mean like the, the, um, the give you the alert? Yes. Yeah, the radar detector. I don't think so, now. Right. Because yeah. it used to I be the case that it was legal in some states but not others or something. Yeah, like. I don't think they are legal here now. Yeah, you'll right. have to remove yeah. those. I, I don't know if people still use those. Um, no, I don't. I, I think technology yeah, has improved. New, it's yeah, I, I now, yeah. It's easy to figure out. And besides, you don't need them because my bloody car tells me everything anyway. That's right. It, it, and it <clears> seems to know with, um, say, the fixed cameras at the red lights, it yep. knows which way it's taking the picture as well because it doesn't even bother when you're going the other way. Yep. It only tells you as you're coming through on the hot side. Yep. So, mm. so those detectors you just mentioned, I think there was analog sort of old. I think that's um, right. The yeah. te te technology from how we detect and detection of that detection device, <laughs> they're all different now. Yeah. And I don't think people even bother anymore. <laughs> with that. Right. Yeah, just slow down, Leon. Come on. Uh, come on, mate. Have you ever seen me even get to the speed? Um, That's what cruise control is for. <laughs> well, okay. So uh, you are now in charge of the uh, Emergency Operations Centre COVID-19 response. Mm. What can you tell us about that, Sachin? Oh, um, is it a couple of weeks? Busy. <laughs> um, we've been doing this since March last year. You know, yeah. So it's been busy time. Um, so much has changed, you know, so much we thought, um, well, I never thought I'll be working in sort of pseudo health space. Um, uh, we're not health professionals. Our health department has the lead on that. Our job is um, as a, a Northern Territory Police Commissioner, he's a territory controller under the Emergency Management Act, uh, and he established the Emergency Operations Centre and appoints incident controllers. Um, so there's two of us. So we rotate, uh, always been the case. Um, we, we had more than two at one stage where we were doing 24-hour rotation. Um, it is concerning um, where we at with, um, like, for example, right now, if we talk about it, uh, New South Wales, uh, that concerns mm. me. Uh, the Delta variant, uh, even though I'm a lay person like everyone else in, in this forum now, um, uh, how it beha is behaving. Uh, how um, the infectivity rate of it, how quickly it can uh, spread the infection. Um, it, it worries us, yes. Um, um, it's a sense of responsibility, um, uh, which goes with, you know, working in that space. But as I said to you before, um, being part of that response, collective community government response, try to control this and safeguard our people, our patch, our, our community, um, it's, it's, you can't put price on it. Mm. Uh, there's no salary or uh, rank or, you know, all that stuff is irrelevant it's to me uh, and to my colleagues. Uh, otherwise, why would we do this? It's a very hard job. Um, knowing that if it comes here again, um, uh, it's not going to discriminate because I'm wearing a uniform and you're wearing a white shirt and you're, you're, it's, we're all in the same place. Mm. Um, again, that's where I meant with our skin is also in the game. Um, so when you have that motivation attached to it, our health our staff, our nurses, frontline workers, you name it, 
um, transport industry, like, for example, or bus drivers, or who, whoever is part of this whole big response we're dealing with. Um, it's complex, uh, but it's hard work, but it's also very satisfying for us to do, mm. to do that. Um, so we've been through, like, you know, um, when I remember when I first called in to do this role uh, was that we, the prime minister is going to declare it, Therefore, we also going to put borders in checkpoints in place. So that was my initial job march last year, um, where we sent police officers on all of the borders, including the, um, the dirt tracks, you know, like Tenamai Highway and yeah. Bantan Highway and all those roads, or Sandover Highway and all that. Um, then we move, moved into the full-on lockdown. People stay home. Um, more we understanding about this. Um, more best practices sort of coming through, uh, hard lockdowns sort of become the, the sort of go-to um, norm in Australia. Um, you control it quickly, you trap it, you trice it, and that's how you get, get out of it. Um, I remember, for example, um, South Australia had a um, community trans- transmission. I think it's related to that pizza. Remember the pizza delivery driver who oh, died? Yeah, uh, which put us in, um, because we are so close to South Australia, and that Stuart Highway is well-traveled, right? Especially Ella yeah. Springs and, and uh, other side of the um, um, jurisdiction. I remember getting the call that, um, you know, 8.30 or whatever the time was, um, we are going in a lockdown. Sorry, not lockdown, a hotspot declaration. We know there's two plans already on on its way, uh, they're going to mm. be landing here. But then I turned my mind to, I remember getting an emergency meeting happening and, and link up with South, um, uh, Alice Springs um, incident management team there. We just also realized that can't find, just enter the jurisdiction uh, just after the declaration with passengers on board. Uh, so things like that is, is and that's, just that initial response. Then there's heaps more flights coming and they're going to go to Yalara, they're going to go to uh, Nalamboy, you know, all those places. Mm. Um, that, and then how you control that, you know, fast, uh, very decisive, speedy actions you got to you undertake. And, and this is so new to all of us because we working in emergency management and not in a, criminal investigation or all that part of it. Emergency management also part of policing under the legislation. We, mm. we, we are that agency who do do that. So moving from that, um, Christmas, you know, <laughs> there's a couple of birthdays spent <laughs> in mm. that. Yeah, same. Um, birthdays of your family members, you know, heaps of cakes at work because we always at work, <laughs> you know, <laughs> celebrating each other's birthday. Um, we're moving along. We, we got used to a few things. Uh, we got used to doing like what we're doing right now, uh, interviews and all that sort of stuff. Uh, we have to um, scale up um, when things are bad, scale down when things are becoming normal again. Um, we shut one watch house. Uh, we're going to 12-hour rostering system so we can have more efficiency in our resources. Um, we're back on the borders again. We have um, quiet... Auto, automatic number plate recognition systems so we can track people coming through the borders uh, instead of physically manning a few things. Um, 
so so and then uh, Howard Springs um quarantine center then it becoming center for national resilience then it becoming under one you know so we gone through and still going through i don't think this going to stop uh, in a hurry the the breadth and the depth of this response is is very large um mm. uh, in many ways we are quite successful um what we have done and what we doing um but on the same token we can't drop the guard because it can happen like what happened two three, three weeks ago Mm. Uh, when you're going through the lockdown, what do you do? You know, but um, w- one thing um, I can, um, I guess, celebrate um, is that when we were going through that time and we didn't have any local transmission or any case like we just went through, uh, we planned, we planned, we exercised, we planned, we exercised, we planned, we exercised, we keep doing that so many times. Um and every time we do it, um, then say, for example, something happened in Victoria, we learn from them. We plan again. We, we amend our plans. We exercise again. And it's not just us. When I say us, I mean police. I'm talking about the whole of the um, emergency operation center. So we have representation and uh, functional groups representing almost all parts of the NTG and federal government and also some NGOs part of it. And... When this happened, I remember getting the call 2 a.m. in the morning on that Saturday that there's a positive case in Tanabai mine and it's been there mm. for five days uh, and 900 people already left the mine uh, and there's about 854 people in the mine. I'm thinking, uh, that's very similar to the scenario we exercise. Are they sort of testing me? You know, like sometimes you test. <laughs> yeah. um, this is um, not a test. <laughs> but obviously it wasn't. I had a chat with the territory controller um, three o'clock in the morning and then we start the response. Uh, working long hours is part of our job, um, not just my job, I'm, I'm part of the team, but my team, everyone there for 30. Mm. Um, we started like 2 a.m. in the morning. We didn't, for that particular, because initial stuff is always critical. You need to control it, right? What's happening, control it, contain it. Then throw enforcement at it. Um, and having that strong leadership from the territory controller who knows his business, who knows how to make those decisions, um, gives us that sense of direction as well. Because you can't fumble when emergencies are occurring. You mm. can't second guess your own decisions or, or someone else's decisions. You've got to make those decisions. But we also fortunate that we tested, exercised, and when we do that, it comes natural. Um, nothing is perfect. Nothing gonna be perfect because we're such in a fluid state, um, and we're gonna be that way. So this variant is acting so differently than the alpha was, right? Mm. Um, but going there and working for you know almost twenty-four hour shift, just try to control this, and then the reinforcement coming, and you're dealing with it. Um, that's the reality of it. You know, our health staff, for example, wearing the PPE gear for that long in northern um, um, top end of the territory, for example, um, is hard work, but yeah. their dedication, they, again, their skin is in the game. They're motivated by uh, the sense of responsibility, the sense of community that if we're not going to do this, who else will do it? Mm. We are trying to do this. We're prepared to do this. Our families, our friends, our colleagues are also living here. right? Um, so we must do it. Uh, and And this is very uh, surreal. Like, you know, it, it sounds like cliches. It sounds like you've seen a movie, oh, you know, but 
that's how I feel. That's my team feel. That's my people feel. That if we don't do it, um, how are we going to control this? Um, when I say uh, I took the oath of the office of the constable, I didn't say that I will only protect people from criminals. <laughs> yeah. We will protect them. We will serve them. Uh, and that is, in this today's world, that also COVID. Mm. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's a place where, you know, murky sort of waters, not real information. It's, um, it's, um, it's not clear. And uh, adopting to that mindset is, is sometimes hard. Uh, or we're learning, adapt, adapting to that. Because mostly us police officers are template organization. This is the law. This is a general order. This is what you do, right? Um, and it's maybe same in, in, in many other professions. But this is very different. This is moving by day, sometimes 10 times a day. And you've got to move with it. Um, you, you can't have the fixed mindset. You've just got to keep growing and keep moving. And however it's presenting, you're dealing with it. So um, we, we can't relax. Like what happened now in Brisbane that time, now in New South Wales, we we need to be still very vigilant. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep doing these things, and and education is a big part of uh, for the community. But when education doesn't work, then enforcement comes in, and that's also what police do. Um, so I, I hope I sort of answered and give you a general overview um, yeah, yeah. of what we've been doing. Um, maybe not doing the justice. Uh, the the complexity attached to it and and the hard work the the breadth and the depth and you know uh, but um, all I keep emphasizing is very satisfying work for us. Mm. Mm. Sachin, I'd be interested to know um, d- from your point of view, from an operational <clears throat> perspective, did did the last lockdown go to plan as per your you know disaster response training? Yep, yep. Um, as I said, um, you can have a plan, overarching plan, right? Mm. Um, but every um, the intricacies, the you know daily um, uh, issues, not going to be the same because they're always different. Sure. But, but yes, and and you probably uh, even the sense when you compare that with other jurisdictions, how quickly we came out, stepped out of it, um, for those reasons, uh, decisions are made early, strong mm. decisions are made. We did that. Um, there's no, um, as I said, you need to, and at that time, you don't know if it's the right decision or not. Of course. Yeah. You know, but based on information, based on your practice, based on clinical advice, uh, health advice, that is the best decision we can make. And yeah. I think, they, uh, I mean, I don't know, sometimes when things didn't go their way, go south, you, you, you can't say if it was a, uh, you know, what decision of to me, it's, a, it's the right decision. Um, so, yeah. Again, we still can't relax uh, from us, our point of view. We've got to keep doing that. We learn new things. We need to now go back and start learning more, exercise more. How does it make you feel when you hear about these instances and you, men- you mentioned the pizza delivery boy earlier and I think it was similar with the situation we had here in Darwin where you, you get given a, a list of uh, places that, that uh, you know, someone who's positive has uh, frequented. And then during that process, you find out there was one extra place or two extra places. You know, that 
makes it almost impossible to do your job in that situation. H- how does that make you feel? And, you know, I'd be interested to know if there's any consequences for people doing this because it seems to happen in most of these outbreaks there's always a situation where someone hasn't been completely honest. Hmm. Um, it's disappointing, but I also want to say that um, not always is deliberate. Um, okay. They are definitely deliberate element to it. And, and they are then dealt with uh, by infringement notices, prosecutions, and all that. But sometimes, like, for example, today, right, I've been to so many places. I mean, these are things are a little bit different now because we just came out of lockdown and we have QR code everywhere. You, yeah. you and all of that. So say I'll take you two months before that or say January, February, when things were quite okay here in Northern Territory. And on Saturday, um, you have duties, you're taking kids to AFL, then you're going somewhere else, and you're going, oh, wife rings, oh, can you stop and get a mail so you quickly stop? You don't really remember if I now then ask you a week later or yeah. two days later or three days later, where you've been exactly, every single, right? Um, there are ways you can check your transaction history, you can try to recollect, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so some, sometimes that's not the case that uh, people being mischievous or, or malicious in, in their recall. Um, but then, yes, there are some people who do those things and then put everyone's uh, well-being in danger. Um, yeah. And then we deal with them by the way of issuing infringement notices or prosecution. Yeah. And it's a very hefty fine. Um, for an individual, it's uh, $5,056. Right. Uh, and for a, for a corporate fine, it's 25000 something dollars. Yeah, right. Wow. You may not know the answer to this, but did you ever reunite the guy with his thongs that tried to cross by, by foot? <laughs> no, I don't know the answer to that. No. <laughs> I hope he got his thongs back. Sachin, uh, you, you've spoken a lot about, uh, you know, the work that you do, and you know, obviously as a tantrum, we're very grateful uh, for, for the work that you do. Um, we recently heard from uh, several different newspapers uh, and news sources that there were some concerns about the training that recruits were getting um, and whether they were properly trained before being let uh, out into the community. Was there any truth to that? Uh, Are you able to comment on any of that? No, I I, I probably won't be able to comment, not just because... um I don't want to. It's also, I don't actually have knowledge of it. I, right. I, I'm aware of those comments made in, in the media and other places. Mm, okay. um, but to me, um, police officers are well-trained. Um, um, I can't really say uh, that that's not the case. So so I'm not in that area. I don't have any visibility of, of anything because I'm not in a police college. Um, so I... I probably won't be able to make any comment on that now. Okay. Okay. Well, you've been very generous with your time. It's your day off. Uh, yet yeah. You're sitting here in front of us in your uniform, Sachin. So uh, <laughs> we're full kudos to you. No, thank you. No, it's, bit, it's important. Thank you. I was a little bit intimidated at the start with all those crowns and stars on your collar there, Sachin. <laughs> no. Um, to, to, again, I'm just like any other public servant, trust me, and, and that's what we do. Uh, and regardless of all this noise um, uh, of any nature, mm. uh, we focused. We know what we're going to do. We, we remember the oath we took, so we're going to carry on with that. 
Well, um, I I can feel the writing on the wall um, with Leon there, so I just need to sneak in an extra question uh, before we get the big wind-up. But uh, it's got nothing to do with policing, so you can uh, take a deep breath. And I don't know your exact age, so I, I'd be interested to know, um, obviously there's, a, there's another Sachin that comes from your country that some of our listeners may be familiar with. Um, are you a similar age, or is he older than you, or younger than you? He's older than me. No, he's older than me. Yeah. Okay. So, what was it like growing up in a country uh, sharing his name? And uh, you know, are you from a cricketing family? Um, oh no, 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 I'm not. But um, it, it, <laughs> people just think uh, there's 1.4 billion of us, right? Um, yeah. And people think um, everyone. Uh, is a cricket fan. It's not that cricket is not, not on my uh, my uh, favorite list. No, I'm, I, I'm a big fan of uh, hockey. Uh, that's what I grew up playing, mm. and also European field. handball. What the Americans uh, call field hockey? Field hockey, real yeah, hockey, okay. I call it. Yeah, yeah. hockey, uh, exactly. Yeah, um, and uh, European handball. Way that's how I grew up. But cricket's always been part of growing up. Yeah. Um, one day, especially, you know, now I have more interest in cricket, um, test cricket because uh, it's to me it's like a quiet taste. That's where the real test. Happens. I, th- I thought you were <laughs> going to say I have more of an interest in it because India is much better at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that's one one aspect. <laughs> um, what I would say, like growing up, yes, yeah, everyone it sort of become one of those things. Ah, oh, Sachin Tendulkar, right? Everyone just say that. But the benefit of that is when I came here um, um, to Australia, because there was no issues pronouncing my name. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm, no, standing, right. I'm standing in a McDonald's or coffee line and people yeah. always know my name. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> w- w- yeah. So it's, 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 it's that common, you know, um, uh, cricket is, uh, you know, this is um, sport or art or music connect people doesn't matter where you're from yes. and that one very common element uh, i find that we have it here uh, especially when uh, that very uh, famous test series where uh, um india won against you know when there was a um, follow-on and that was like 2001 i believe or 2002 mm. yes uh, you know there was follow-on and it's then still they hurting india leon to this day <laughs> <laughs> at that time that time i was delivering food from an uh, Indian restaurant, and everywhere I, go, I had a radio on, everywhere I go, everyone's watching it. It was just such a beautiful time. I, yeah. I have I um, have good, very good memories of it. People, mm. hey, is it a VVS Lakshman curry or what? <laughs> 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 yes, we've actually spoken about that very test match on this mm. podcast. It's uh, yeah. the ghosts of Calcutta. Mm. Yes, uh, yes, Eden Gardens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, here I have more benefit of having that name than in India, put it that way. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I was telling somebody this story the other day um, from not the last series where India played Australia here, but the previous one. And uh, one of my kids was about three at that time. Now, I grew up in the era of Lily and Tomo and the Chapel Brothers and then obviously, you know, all the greats that have come since then. Yeah, but I, I I was in stunned amazement when my kids were playing cricket in the backyard one day, and my three year old hit this shot that 
went past his older brothers. He's pretty happy with himself. And he said these words. He went, yes, Coley. <laughs> that was like, I did never think I'd hear those words from an Australian young child, but yeah. that just shows how how much the, uh, you know, Indian team and cricket in general permeates our, yeah. our society. And, and also the connectivity now as well, you know. Mm. Everything is available. These kids are so... Um, well trained in that, um, yes. and then IPL um, or, or competitions like that, where it's not just now representing your nation. This become a private enterprise where they yeah. go to the club, and and you know, two two months ago they were they were throwing things at each other. Now they're representing Kolkata Raiders yeah. or you know Punjab Kings or whatever, and then they, it's the same team. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> so that's another aspect now came came in. Yeah, most of Indian people traveling other places and. All these cricketers got real estate in Sydney and live <laughs> live half half the year there. So, world's become such a small place now for all of us. You know? um, yeah. and, and that part, what probably uh, your your kids sort of getting it as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I'd I'd be it'd be remiss of me if I didn't ask this question. Um, you support Australia or India? India. Oh, okay. That was very. I, I tell you this. Um, this is very funny, um, and it's not the first time somebody asked me this question. Sure. Um, even in my police interview, it was asked, right? And that time, um, <laughs> and, 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 and again, job. <laughs> but again, it wasn't no, no um, right or wrong attached to it. They wanted to know, and uh, at that time, um, Swami Army, remember like a Army, Army, Swami Army, <laughs> <The Swami laughs> was playing in Brisbane. Um, mm. India was playing Brisbane, and it's one of those things where. Um, I'm not even Indian citizen, right? And I can't be—I can't even take overseas citizen, like a dual citizenship, because yeah. I'm a police officer here now. Mm-hmm. So they don't give give it to once you are police officer or army yeah. or other by agencies or whatever. But it's one of those things where um, you grew up with, like how many people support Geelong um, AFL team, but they never been in Geelong because yeah. it's the parents or you know something, and it's just one of those things. Um, but when Australia is not playing India. I'm all Australian, mate. <laughs> okay, well, that's good. And, and I guess the all important question: Who do your kids barrack for? Uh, <laughs> Australia. Ah, oh, that's it. Born and bred. They are Australians, there yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, in every sense, yeah. And are they going to follow in your footsteps? Do you think? Or how many uh, do you have? I got four kids. Um, <laughs> um, two are adults from a previous relationship. Um, now they. So far, they're doing their own. I don't push any particular thing. I my job as a parent to guide them. Um, so they finish high school. Uh, one is doing accounting and law degree, um, and also working in accounting firm as a trainee. Um, another one is doing the software engineering and also working in Department of Education as a trainee. And other two are very young, so who knows what they're going to do? They're probably <laughs> flying cars somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, Sachin, it's uh, been great chatting to you. Really appreciate your openness on the policing stuff and uh, also about which country you support in the cricket. That might bring some blowback. Let's hope not. Thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Leo. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thank you. That was Sachin Sharma on the Territory Story podcast. We'll catch you again next time. You've been listening to the Territory Story podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. 
the Territory Story Podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.